On Thursday last week, Nigerians woke up to the horrific images of a 10-year-old Neoma who was seriously wounded. She had bones all over her body and a major wound on her head, where a nail had been drilled in. The vicious assault against this child was carried out by a couple, Mr. and Mrs. Moses Ozogu, in Enugu State, the southeastern part of Nigeria. The child is their housemaid. It was such a devastating sight to behold that the Enugu State government swung into action and arrested the couple. Shockingly, this incident is not an isolated one. Every day, we wake up to stories of horrifying abuse by adults against children. Not too long ago was the case in Enugu State of Ochanya Elizabeth Ogbanje, a 13-year-old who died as a result of health complication, having been sexually molested persistently by her aunt, husband, and son since she was 8 years old. Sadly, this is a pattern that seems to repeat itself, especially among children of poor families, who are often handed to relatives to be looked after. Her report, conducted by the United Nations Children's Fund, UNICEF, in 2019, revealed that about half of the Nigerian children experience physical violence by parents, adult relatives, direct or indirect caregivers, or community members before they reached 18. Most child protection issues are covered by the Child Rights Act of 2003. This law prohibits all forms of violence abuse, neglect, and exploitation against the child. Despite the obvious benefits for children, some states in Nigeria are yet to domesticate the child rights law, meaning its provisions cannot be executed. So how do we guarantee the safety of children at all times? Under these sort of circumstances, and why exactly is it that some adults abuse children? Hello and welcome to NOW, our daily general news podcast which examines the significant stories in and about Nigeria. I am Bumi Yekini, consultant psychiatrist Dr. Olusheun Peter Ogunubi explains why people abuse children. When he was or she was growing up, or the father is so violent or the mother is so violent, would have modeled or could model his life or her life after that particular parent. And therefore, one of the ways they try to cope is to also abuse others. Educationist and children's rights advocate, Dr. Ama Onyerima, tells us how families can better protect children from abuse. That families um, have a greater awareness of what the laws state. You can't abuse your child. You can't pass your child off as a domestic servant. Um, child labor is not permitted. And um, there has to be greater awareness. Singing nurse Sam Imole consoles Nigerians, saying these times too shall pass. Tough time never lasts. Tough people do. It's just a trying period for everybody. Let's keep faith alive. I just want them to keep hope alive, no matter where they are. Experts believe there is a direct correlation between poverty and violence against children. Not surprising, really, given that poor parents are sometimes pushed to hand over their children to relatives and even strangers to serve as maids for the promise of a better life. 
This promise is usually short-lived, as many of the caregivers turn out to be abusers of these children. I spoke with Adero Nkeuye She is the coordinator of Bimbo Dukoya Foundation. The foundation works to promote, rescue, empower, and protect the rights of women and children. She starts by explaining who she believes are the perpetrators of abuse. In fact, most times the children are being abused by their own family. So we realize that the family is a major cause. Apart from the external, the society, the community, the cultural belief system has also affected children. But we are seeing that everything starts from the home. That if children are no longer safe with their own parents, if they no longer safe with their family members, relatives, and extended family, where else can they be safe? So, does poverty have anything to do with child abuse? Yes, of course. It has a, a very big role to play when it comes to self-protection and abuse of children. We recently had a case of a young boy. He, he has a sibling, he has four siblings, and his parents, they both live in the same house in a small room apartment. And he was actually caught. He, he discovered a four-year-old girl, and the boy is also a minor. And we realized that it's poverty. Why? Because they live in the same room, a small room apartment, four siblings, and those children are doing everything their parents are doing. And how we feel that God gives to us, we should also be responsible. The responsibility of parents has to be taught. We need to teach them that there is a responsibility, bring them to the world, all those rights are listed in the child rights act. We need to explain to them. And let them understand that these children, you should be able to care for them under your roof. And if you know you can't care for them under your roof, taking them to somebody else, you need to be sure they will be protected, whatever they are going to. So I think ignorance is key. That's why most of these parents let their children come to different parts of the state as, as children to so go child labor. So they don't understand better because they feel that when they go out, they will make some money for themselves and take care of the younger ones, if they do have. So I think the orientation will help. And most of the children, when they come down here, they, they fall into different tracks. They fall into different abuses. So I think orientation from all levels, going to the grassroots, the community, like the us at Bimbo Foundation, we go to the community, to the grassroots, to teach them. But see, first of all, if you know you don't have time to have babies, don't have babies. And once the baby comes, it is your responsibility, your due responsibility to take care of them and protect them. And if you do not have the means, you have to find a way around it. Tell me what you do when you get these children rescued. Children, they will be get to know or mandatory reporter report them. We have all the stakeholders we work with. Once we are notified of a child abuse case, we on our own class at the state the network, child protection network, we flag it. We will, we will find out the closest NGO, the closest child protection specialist, that is closest to where the case has happened for them to take it up. For example, we have located in the Mushi LGV. So when the case happens at Ijiro, not within where we say at the Mushi but within our facility, we could find out the, and investigate. First of all, is to go there and rescue the child. And we have to involve the Ministry of Youth and Social Development. So they will go with us to rescue the child, or we will go as NGO, get the information, and inform the appropriate authorities. Then we take the child to the police station, get the police 
extract from there it can be fed to NYC Coventy, put them in a shelter and they do treatment. As Tebye, any perpetrator who has been prosecuted as a result of um, child abuse or violation of a child's rights? Yes, we've had several cases that the, the perpetrator was caught and faced the judgment. In fact, there was one that happened recently. It's just a pity because the child was a minor during the lockdown. That was in April. He defiled a, a four-year-old girl. And the case was reported, we went to court during the lockdown, we went to court. And he was sentenced to two years at the correctional facility in Lagos. But he was sentenced to the boy's home at 15 years old. So that was uh, a because the child is a minor. But most of our cases are still in court. In fact, we still have cases of 2018, 2017 in court. Dr. Ama Onyerima is an educationist, executive coach author, and children's rights advocate. She is the founder and executive director at Live Abundantly, a not-for-profit organization that promotes the well-being and safety of women and children. Tommy Olugbemi asked her about the recent case of child violation in Enugu State and the law that protects children. Uh, you are correct in that there's a human rights violation here, but we also need to take note of the fact that in Nigeria, we have adopted the child rights law, which has only been enacted in 24 states and the FCT. We also have the Violence Against Persons Prohibition, um, which is, you know, enacted in 13 states and the FCT. Um, unfortunately, we this is a multi-phased um, um, dilemma and a, a major issue in Nigeria because on one hand we do not have enough data and we do not keep data another data culture and, and um, this is prevalent in the society and it has become even worsened by the pandemic so the issues of poverty safety um, survival of children has become um, a pressing issue that to be addressed. Unfortunately, the laws are not enforced. It's not that there are no laws against this, as I've indicated, is that it's not being enforced. And in the case of child, um, we're dealing with um, child labor, uh, physical abuse, and uh, who knows what else she has been subjected to in this home. Yeah, you said there are laws, but they are not being enforced. So how could we enforce them what do we do to make sure that these laws are implemented well the way to enforce laws is to make sure that it is carried out by the um, enforcement agencies one two that families um, have a greater awareness of what the laws state you can't abuse your child you can't pass your child out as a domestic servant um, child labor is not permitted and um, there has to be greater awareness. So uh, there have to be public service messages. Uh, there have to be education of children. Children need to know their rights. Children need to speak up when they're being violated. Parents need to know as well as the community. So maybe public service messages are going to be very integral. We also need to get the government and corporations to really work on enforcing the SDGs. Let's move towards achieve the SDGs, which addresses issues of poverty, hunger, education, health, equality.
in a lot of these cases where um, there's been a, an abuse of a child or a violation of a child, um, a lot of the times it's it's kind of settled out of court. So parents are often paid off. So the question is, how do we tackle this problem? How do we make sure that when it when it does get to the courts, justice is served? Well, first of all, let me just clarify that poverty is one of the reasons why children are, are, are violated. Uh, in terms of child labor, it really rests on poverty the issues. In terms of child trafficking, it is about poverty. But um, child violation occurs in all types of homes, and it's not restricted to lower-income homes or those struggling with poverty. Um, here's the thing that we need to do. We need to take away the rights of family being able to intervene when a child has been violated. The state, the country needs to have laws where if a child is violated and it is reported, then that must go to trial. The person must be brought to the full extent. Um, with respect to children advocacy, what has um, Leave Abundantly been up to? So what have you been doing in respect to um, children's rights advocacy? So Live Abundantly has initiated a children's awareness initiative. And the children's awareness initiative focuses on educating children on their rights, child rights, human rights, as well as the various laws of the country that protect them. We also encourage children to be creative and to pursue their education because we recognize that the best way to make change is to make sure that the children are educated and cared for, and that way we can alter the, the status of things within their families and their communities. Legal experts say there are specialized family courts established by the provision of the child rights law to ensure that children have unfettered access to justice. So if their rights are infringed upon, the children can walk straight into the courts and to the magistrate without even an advocate, and the magistrate is mandated to take up their cases. Obiamaka Aga is the head of litigation committee, African Women Lawyers, and the principal counsel at Leading Edge Solicitors and Notary Public, which offers free legal aid services to child abuse survivors. In an interview with Juliet Obata, she analyzes the Child Rights Act and also shares her experience defending child abuse survivors. Generally, in our nation, Nigeria, we have a ground norm, the 1999 Constitution as amended. Now, this ground norm provides um, rights of citizens, right to life, right to freedom of expression, right to right to dignity of the human person and all of that. But then, adults usually think that this right only belongs to them because children do not have emotions, children shouldn't be allowed to um, to participate in any form of decision making because they do not have a mind of their own. So, but um, uh, United Nations, African Union, they all, thought, uh, they all thought about it and said no. If we just have a general document that uh, prescribes rights of um, individuals in every country, that these children will always remain neglected in some way. And so they thought it's wise to put up different documents in, in form of conventions for children 
Now, all these conventions embody their specific rights, obligations, and then the procedure through which they will access justice when there's an infringement. And so all these things are embodied in the articles of the different conventions. They have conventions on the rights of the child, conventions African Charter on the uh, rights of the child. Now, all the signatories to this convention, all the various countries that are signatories, were now encouraged to return to their home countries and ensure that they have a legal framework that would support what has been embodied in this convention. Now, they returned home. Nigeria, for instance, returned and ensured that they passed the Child's Rights Act in 2003. Now, that Child's Rights Act, of course, that was after they had um, they had considered our own peculiar cultures and uh, traditions and um, people. How many states have domesticated this law and why? You know, because we practice federalism, all states must be given the opportunity to sit down, their own legislators, sit down, look at the act, know the sections of the law to take, the sections of the law to abandon, and because of their own peculiar customs, traditions, and them, and their geographical location. Um, right now, the whole of the East, the whole of the West, and the whole of the... Um, uh, yeah, the whole of East and West have all domesticated this, but it's only 11 states that are pending at the moment, and these states are within the Northern region. And uh, one thing is certain, the Child Rights Act has made child marriages an offense. It has prohibited child marriages. So even if someone is to get married, you have to wait till the uh, child is 18. And you do know that the child marriages are majorly perpetuated in the north. So they have to, they are still thinking of the best way around it, maybe to now put up a particular age for their own children to marry. Maybe they feel that 18 is too far off. Maybe they can now say 15 or 16. But they are still debating. And um, several non-governmental organizations have been on their necks. Um, all kinds of things have been going on. People have been signing um, petitions online, doing all kinds of things, just to get the legislators in these 11 states to see the need to protect the rights of these children. You know, if um, such documents had already been passed in, in these um, 11 northern states, um, this movement of the Almadjeri going from place to place would have all been resolved because they are all children. So it is something that they will take their time and um, pass, but we are certain that we'll get to that level when all the states must have passed. Are there actually family courts that have been established and are they up and running? Yes, in every state where the child's right law has been uh, where there's a law on child's rights, those family courts have been established. For instance, in Lagos State, you have the family court at the level of the magistrate, then you have the family court at the high court too. So, but for um, uh, majorly 
the most of the cases go to the magistrate court, the family court. So if you go down to the uh, magistrate sitting at uh, Oba, that's the Ikeja Magisterial District, you will see that uh, three courts have been designated as family courts. If you go down to Ogudu, Ogudu has a family court. You go down to Bushere, Bushere has a family court. You go down to Ireland, um, Lagos Island uh, Division, you see that Tinubu also has a family court. So it's the same way all around Nigeria. Once the child's right law is in existence in that case, the family courts are all established at one end. They're all there in the same building with the other courts, with the regular courts. Every matter that concerns a child must be heard only in the family court. So if you, uh, let's say for instance now, you have uh, a, a child that has been abused or, or you want to file for guardianship of a child, you will take it to the general court registry and file it. But once they look at the proceedings and see that it has to do with a child, they will assign it to the family court. So the family court magistrates are all there and they are working. In fact, they have a very busy court. Finally, before I let you go, you've been doing a free legal aid program. You told me that. Yes. Let us into some, you know, real life experiences that you've, you know, encountered during your work. Before now, we usually see maybe children uh, that are brought to us. They say, okay, this particular guardian, her aunt or her uncle, has been beating her with uh, the pressing iron or a rod. Or we've even seen people beat children with wire gauze. Um, we've seen all kinds of things. And then they leave them outside and tell them to serve punishment. You kneel down there till the following morning. The children are outside under the, the, the cold wet and so many other things. We see children, like um, there was this time we were at uh, Ikeja area of Lagos. We, uh, there we met a child who had been hawking all day and hadn't had anything to eat. And then we asked the child, why are you not in school? And the child says, I've never been to school. I don't even know where school is. I was brought, my parents gave me to my auntie for about two years. I normally hawk, um, hawk uh, bean cake and bread. So we see all kinds of things. Children are part of the vulnerable groups in the society. The protection of their rights is expected to be done for them by an adult. Ironically, these adults are their abusers. As we try to understand the rationale behind the reason an abuser will abuse a child in his care, I sought the answer from Dr. Olusheun Peter Ogunobi. He's a consultant psychiatrist at Grace Cottage Clinic, Ilupeju, and a lecturer at the University of Lagos. Many people abuse children for many reasons. Some, just as you said, could be the experience they've gone through in life, and because of that, they've seen abuse as a normal way of life. There's what we call learning theory. And in learning theory, sometimes when you go through certain things, you will not even feel it is a problem again. It will look strange when others are even complaining about it. Why? Because you have seen it as a way of life. Sometimes we call it modeling. A child that is abused when he was or she was growing up, or the father is so violent or the mother is so violent, would have modeled or could model his life 
our life after that particular parent. And therefore, one of the ways they try to cope is to also abuse others. Sometimes it's a form of displacement. The person that molested that boy, that mutilated his body, could be going through a major challenge in life. She could be going through a lot of challenges, and instead of her to use a normal coping mechanism to cope with this uh, challenge, she will now displace the whole aggression on that particular. What I see is a total displacement of aggression, total displacement of frustration, and that could be what has happened. Another reason why people abuse children, for example, that child, if it's her own or it's not her own, could be a bad movie. Maybe the child is a product of an unwanted pregnancy. Maybe the father of the child has not been allowed and the most angry that why did this child even come to this world? So if you get to this world, my life has turned upside down. You are the reason why I could not go to school. You are the reason why I could not pursue my trade. You are the reason why I could not pursue whatever ambition life has put in my course before. And they continue to see that the coming of the child into the world as a total disturbance to their life. And that will determine the way. So there are mirrors of in fact this abuser may also be going through emotional challenge. The abuser may be hearing voices that the child is this, the child is that, maybe misinterpreting the action of the child, may even have persecutory delusion towards the child. Because when I look at that picture, when I saw the picture, the first thing that came to my mind is that that woman needs a lot of mental health evaluation. That woman may not be well at all. She may be delusional towards the child. She may have a personality disorder. Something is definitely not right here. And that is uh, one of the reasons. So when people have mental illness, whoever they come in close, close, uh, close contact with, especially the vulnerable ones, people do that to the elderly ones to their father who is living with them, to their mother who is living with them very elderly. And it's just about them just showing that aggression. How then do we break away from this vicious circle? Because if a child is being abused, mentally it's going to affect him. He might grow up abusing another child. How can this so cycle be corrected? Yeah that, yeah, that is why we need to give alternative explanations. Schools programs, any intervention programs in school. There are many children in school that even the way they are at home now, they are not happy because the school has been a safe haven for them. That is why the school system must be revitalized. The school system must provide counseling structure. How many of our public and private schools have counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists, visiting consultant psychiatrists? There should be law by the Minister of Education and Ministry of Health that there is no school that is set up that should not have a domicile counselor who is trained in child and adolescent psychiatrists and a consultant psychiatrist that will be visiting the place at least once in a month. So that at the end of the day, what the counselors or the psychologists could not see, he or she will be able to provide solutions. And these children must be exposed to alternative explanations. They must be exposed to love. They must be exposed to the other way of life. So that they will see a child that was brutalized, but this child now grew up in, the, in another setting where he's being loved or she's being loved and cared for. We now look at it that, oh, no, there are two ways to lie. There are two ways to believe, to live. 
And that's why such a child will say, when I grow up, I will not do this. What I went through, I will, not make, I will make sure that nobody comes near me or live under my roof, goes through the same thing. That is how to break this cycle. Through jingles, through health education, through interventions in primary schools, secondary schools, in places of learning, vocational schools, even universities. So what then is the way forward? Yeah. And as I said, the way forward is we must take a deliberate effort. Yeah. We must take conscious effort, not to leave them the way they have been trained, but to intervene. And also, deterrent must always come to play. The abuser must be dealt with according to the law. If besides there was abuse, we look at the consequences of the abuse of the person that abused the person that abused and say, oh, this person suffered the consequence of this particular abuse. Therefore, if I also want to start abusing others, the same consequences or even greater ones are awaiting me. But if the abuser goes scot free, then you are registering something in the mind of that child that he too can abuse or she too can abuse later in life and that she will go scot free. But when she knows that for every time you abuse, there will be consequences. So, involvement is fair is the cause. Deliberate and conscious interventions to give alternative explanation and social welfare system in the country must be well managed. Sammy Mole is a nurse at the Mini Isolation Center inside the government house in Ogun State, Nigeria. Call him the singing nurse and you will be right. He tells Abdul Okwecheme that the plight of patients and the resolve of the medics at the center inspire him to write therapeutic songs. To our heroes in the front line, trying to fight this battle, we say thank you. We say thank you for your sacrifice and love. To all humanity, we say thank you. We say thank you. Tough times will never last, but tough people always do. Oh, we say thank you. Yeah, okay, so thank you. What inspired that song? You are a nurse, you work in isolation center. What isolation center exactly do you work? And what inspired this music? No, I work with the Obo State government, like a mini isolation center. And what really motivated the song is looking at people working at the front line of this COVID-19. It has not really been easy on us. Like for myself, as an example, I have been home now, it's more than two months, back to back working just to save lives. Nobody's expecting this. So I just felt it would be a good time to say thank you for your efforts. Thank you for their time. Thank you for their sacrifices. It has not been easy caring for them. When people are infected with COVID-19, it's a lot of adjustment. Acceptance is not even easy. But making them understand we are with you in this battle, everybody's going to be fine. It's a lot of work and we need to be appreciated more. I think that was what motivated me to actually write this song just to tell people this time will be over, everybody's mm -hmm. going to be fine soon, and we are all going to have a story to tell for good. Have you ever been a musician? Is it this period that turned you into a musician or you were a singer before now? 
I used to be a singer before now. I actually had three singles before. But this time, I just felt, okay, let me bring out the music inside of me just to appreciate the people working at the front line of the battles. Tell me, do you happen to sing to your patients too, sometimes? Oh, sometimes, yes. Music is therapeutic. We really need to start involving music in our daily medical life. I'm a perioperative nurse. I work in the theater. Some doctors prefer to play music while they are operating. It's therapeutic. It makes them more focused. Make me understand how you sing with the mask on in your mouth. Singing during this period is relatively not really possible because of the overall, everything you're putting on, and you're actually avoiding droplets too. So it's obvious you can't sing during this period. But you can play the song. You can at least play something from your phone. So I said, what lesson did you take home during this period of pandemic? What have you been taught? What lessons have you learned? I've learned to have more focus on emergency preparedness. Can we just plan ahead for uncertainties? Oh, we might say it's not going to happen. What of it if it happens? Are we ready to combat this? Have you ever had a feeling maybe you are going to work and say, oh, man, I'm not going again today. I'm so scared. I'm my contact. Have you ever had that feeling? Even the fear of you not contracting COVID-19 is another thing on its own. But we just have to work. That's what we signed for as a medical practitioner. We just have to. So there are times when I will wake up and I won't feel like working. But you just have to. Medical ethics, you just have to put yourself in the forefront put yourself on the line. Even when you are down personally, you still don't want them to see the fact that you are down because when they see you down, they are discouraged. So you have to brace yourself up and irrespective of how you feel, give them the hope, the desire at that particular point in time, majorly. What advice or what words of encouragement will you give your patients who are in the isolation world? Okay, to every of my patients, there is one advice, and it's actually in the lines of my songs too. It says, tough time never lasts. Tough people do. It's just a trying period for everybody. Let's keep faith alive. I just want them to keep hope alive, no matter where they are. Keep good confession. Even if you're infected with COVID, keep good confession. I am not going to die. I am going to live. I'm going to use this drug, and this drug is going to work for me. And I will overcome this period. And that's it on this episode of Now. I am Bumi Yekini.